All right. Brilliant. So now we're in our shiny new Zencaster home and giving this a shot. So, <laughs> you know, if this all goes down the toilet and doesn't record successfully, then, you know, all this Zencaster love will go away with it. <laughs> Going in the Yelp review. That's right. That's right. They're not officially a sponsor yet, but maybe if we say their name five times, they'll become, you know, they'll become our first sponsor. That's right. Yeah. Their AI will send us to an SDR who will call us or email us and tell us that we're, uh, we're about to blow up and we're really. That's yeah, right. And, and they've been summoned to sponsor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How are you? I'm, I'm great. Um, I'm having that post vacation re-entry it feels like you know when a rocket ship comes back and the atmosphere and you're like i don't know where i am i'm not quite sure who i am um but yeah, yeah. I, I feel good i'm, I'm still buzzing so yeah okay. well, that's good that's yeah, a good how about you? i'm good i'm good i'm still buzzing too i have to i have to admit a tragic betrayal to you oh, oh okay i was in boston while you were gone oh why is that a betrayal i wasn't there I know, but like of all the times for me to go, I went the one time you weren't there. Like oh, it felt like on. a cosmic betrayal that I went when you weren't there. So I went up on like a like a real quick like day and a half visit. Went up on Wednesday, took the train back Thursday night. So like it was like in and out. But I saw a couple of friends, had lunch with my shockingly adult son who took the tea to come meet me at a restaurant to have dinner and like. That was mind-boggling. Um, but I saw our friends at Upstate, and I saw Mike Swartz and Tito. I saw Adam from ICS. I saw John Rothenberg from So So Limited. I just kind of like did like a Boston thing while I was up there and just crammed as many hellos as possible together. That's wonderful. I'm yeah. delighted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so tell me when you're going away, and then I'll come down to Philly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's the move. That's the move. And we become just the, the what is the... Whips um, in the night. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, it was, it was great. It was nice to see all these folks. Like I said, it was bizarre to see my oldest and have like a dude... Like we've gone out to dinner together, Jack and I, before. We've never like... I've never walked into a restaurant and he's there waiting, looking at his phone in the lobby because he took the tea over and I met him there. That felt very just like abruptly adult. Yeah. It was fine. Yeah. No, no, wait, wait until you are in another country and your son meets you in that country because they've already been there for a month mm. doing whatever they've been doing. You and they're, yeah, they're yeah. showing you around. You know, no, cool. no, I can't even imagine. That'd be wonderful when and if that happens, but I'm still processing this but but this experience having gone up there led to a bunch of half cocked linkedin posts by me over the weekend and mm -hmm. and half framed thoughts which you know i you saw one of my posts where i was saying you know essentially the we need south by southwest again like we need like that that convening of people into a space like mm -hmm. having had a chance to like you know, be in the same room with these folks and meet in person and not have a lot of structure to a couple of these meetings and just reconnect. Generally speaking, just that has a, a, a the, the alchemy and the unanticipated effect of just like colliding with interesting and fun people that can't be forecasted and it can't be kind of planned and it can't be measured is still profoundly valuable. Like it's the most profoundly valuable thing that you can do. And this was just like another very welcome reminder of like just 
you know, these variables kind of colliding creates a third thing that you would have never anticipated or, or forecasted or imagined, or it just insights. Like, actually it's more that I'll be honest. It's more like not having had these, I had a couple of like unscheduled, unstructured kind of conversations. And just in that like availability, lots of small insights and brilliant things and interesting things you know, just surfaced and they made me think about things differently or change my mind about a thing or, or something I brought back to another conference of having somebody else. And I don't know, there's, there's something really valuable to two things. One thought on my mind is that whole, like have a big open medium in which to have those magical things happen. The other thing that I was thinking about a lot too, and we could talk about neither or either of these things, but the other thing I was thinking about too was I listen occasionally to Conan O'Brien's podcast. Conan O'Brien needs a friend, which is very funny. And he's, you know, he's, he's, he's really good at really good at interviewing people he knows well, which I think is a hard thing to do. Mm. Like he's mm. really good at like, and, and that's when the podcast is at its best when he's genuinely talking to an old friend. And he's, he said this now several times and it's always rung a bell with me that like he describes early in his career, like early in your career, your job is to go find your people. Yeah. That's your job to go find your people, collect your people. And then throughout your career, really, your job is to kind of build your tribe, you know, like just collect your people and stay engaged with them and double down with certain folks and just, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of build, 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 build that, that no, Rolodex is too cold of a term. It's really about like your tribe. It's like those, that like community of people that you build around yourself that again, like, in practical effect, when I went and reconnected with a handful of those people last week, you know, it just led to like one thing that might be an opportunity, one thing that was like a holy shit story, one thing that was just like an interesting revelation. And just, you know, there's a compound interest to spending a lot of time with those people that you've kind of collected along the way and re-engaging with them. So yeah. that's where my very harried brain is at this morning. <laughs> well, you've mentioned a couple of things that I think are worth you know, going deeper. On. Okay. One is going deeper, right? So we have a maybe a current bias, a societal bias towards how many people can you possibly know. Uh, if you think about how mm-hmm. social networks are structured, it's mm-hmm. how many followers or how many connections mm-hmm. or how many as a quantity versus quality conversation. Yeah, and as you pointed out, and we can talk about this in detail relationships benefit more from deeper and quality than they do from the, the highest possible number. Right. Um, and then the second thing is you, 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 you said this and it was kind of like a throwaway line, but the non-measured meeting, the non-measured experience yeah. is something that's also a problem that we're currently dealing with because right now what we're having is a, um, Again, something that's maybe algorithmic, algorithmic, algorithmically uh, encouraged. I like, is, I like that your vacation brain won't let you pronounce <laughs> algorithmically. That's like one word you got rid of on vacation. Like we don't need that. That's an important word to get rid of. <laughs> but you know, we, we we live in this kind of day and age where it's like, oh well, if it's not measurable, then how can it possibly even exist, or why does it have any meaning? And yet, if you think about the context of how you learn and how you grow and how you evolve, all of that is an unmeasured state. So uh, 
I, I notice this mostly, and you do as, as a parent as well, when school goes from being unmeasured, it's just playtime and, and kids are having great day, like, oh, I can't wait to go to school. Every morning it's just like, let's go and hang out with our buddies. Mm-hmm. We're going to just enjoy whatever it is that we're doing. And then at some point, maybe it's like third or fourth grade or something, they start really measuring stuff. You, know, you start getting graded on everything. And it just takes all the fun out of it. And so mm-hmm. then they're like, oh, I don't want to go to school. Why? Oh, I don't want to get a bad grade. Well, okay, so what's wrong with getting a bad grade? Well, it's shameful, right? The, the mm-hmm. whole structure is embarrassment, humiliation, shameful. Mm-hmm. And and really that's also what we're trying to tell people when we get them together in events. We're saying, hey, mm-hmm. go to this event, go to this conference, uh, and make X number of contacts, come back with X number of deals, yeah. and God forbid you have any fun, because if you do, then you're really not doing your job. Right. Right. And, and that's exactly the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be going there, reconnecting with people you do yes. know, yes. uh, building relationships with people you're kind of connected to because you're in the same industry. And then, as you say, you know that um, I, th- I can't remember whether this was like a Buffett or a Munger thing or something, but the circle of competence is like the people around you that make you better, right? Mm. The people that are going to guide you and support you, they create a, maybe it's even like a sense of safety so that you can learn, you can enjoy the learning process. Mm. And beyond that circle is where you, you know, there's less safety, there's more risk, there's all kinds of other stuff. And you, you kind of want to go in and out of the circle and trying to figure out like how you can learn. But, the, the key point there, of course, is if you are in a situation where you don't feel safe to learn because there is the threat of humiliation or the threat of shame, then you're not going to enjoy yourself. You're not going to open yourself. Right. You're not going to be stressed. there. In fact, you may not even just show up because you're like, why am I going to these things where every yeah. time I get back, my boss just gives me a hard time about yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, what I did there. Yeah. With South by Southwest or, and, and, Again, we're probably just aging ourselves like a bunch of old farts here. But like, oh yeah, totally. I used to go to events and then have fun. Like, I used to be like, I'm going to go to the event. Yeah, I'm going to let my hair down. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy my time there. Yeah, and those were the best relationships, the best friendships, yeah. the best connections I ever made. And then now you go to these things and like, I don't even remember anybody there because it's like so much about like how many how many connections can you make in the shortest amount of time? And people are just kind of working the room. Yeah, yeah. they've got an agenda. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's, and that's the part that like, you know, I rem- I have like a reminiscent kind of memory of South by Southwest, but I came into it late. Like the first South by Southwest I went to was 2011, I think. So I went like, I think it went 2011, 2012, 2013, and that was it. And I feel yeah. like even in 2011, I was too late. Like in 2011, it was like, it was, it was big. It was huge. It had like, you know, a massive kind of sponsorship base. Now you could find, like you had to kind of find your lane within South by Southwest. Yeah. Like now people that have been going since the early 2000s would reminisce about like, you know, you kind of knew everybody there. It was a much smaller event. It was more like, you know, well, what we were as well, right? You know, the, the, the event organizers are encouraged to make it bigger yeah, and brighter exactly. and you know have more sponsors and the exactly. sponsors are like you got to get more people otherwise we're not going to sponsor you and and yeah. so that intimacy disappears 100% because it becomes there becomes a business model there that you know you can't fault the owners and founders for for kind of pursuing like they they've 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 architected this thing that has value and now they're going to make money and, and as a result like it it grows quantumly 
sponsors complicate things. The fees become astronomical. Like there's, there's, you know, the, 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 again, like most good events, the good stuff happens in the hallways. The good stuff happens outside of the talks and the panels and the whatever. Like, so, you know, you kind of needed the panels of South by Southwest to have an alibi to go, right? Like that was kind of like the reason I'm going, the reason it's worth boss sending me there or me as the boss taking my company there or whatever. The reason that this is worthwhile, you almost had to justify is because there are these talks and there are these panels and we're going to learn a lot and we're going to network and da, 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 da. The truth is like the really valuable stuff was the playful stuff that happened outside of the structured events, you know, off campus, extracurricular stuff, whatever. And, but you, even then, even then, it would, you struggle to make a case for like it's worth the investment to go and send people for the extracurricular stuff. Yeah. But the truth is, like, in time, the the event builds and builds and builds around the programming, around the sponsors, around all the stuff that is the business case. And when it gets huge, it crowds out all of the personal stuff. I mean, to the point where the reason I stopped going to South by Southwest was we couldn't find a hotel to stay at that was near enough and traffic traffic was such a disaster that you couldn't like physically get into downtown Austin in time to be there. Like we had somebody from our company when I was at Happy Cog, like I think they missed their talk because they couldn't get a a taxi into Austin hours before in time to get down there to like actually be present. So, and then you see it with, you know, we saw with the Bureau, the Bureau was, you know, these small events, 30 people, Again, like really kind of curated and lots of like unstructured time and yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, like it makes sense in time, it becomes a business. It has its own business objectives, business objectives kind of. Maybe that's the point. Maybe, maybe events don't need to be a business model, right? So exactly, exactly. if If you're HubSpot and you're hosting inbound, do you really need to charge people tens of thousands of dollars for a booth and only have like you know, Barack Obama and, you know, Simon Sinek be the speakers. Right. But what if you didn't do it? Maybe you said, look, we're a billion dollar company. Why don't we just sponsor the shit out of this thing? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, yes. and and bring in all the quiet voices that don't get heard, all the voices yeah. that don't get airtime. Yeah. Where are those human beings? Where are those ideas? Yeah. Um, where is the unstructured, unconference? That's another model we haven't even talked about, but like the whole idea of put people in a room and yeah. let them vote on the ideas that they want to talk about. And then they build something around that. And that's that's always been fun. That's always been yeah. cool. And intimacy. Right? Yeah. Don't have, you know, one person essentially preaching right. to 10,000 people. Rather just have like, okay, this one person is going to get a small audience to talk about their thing. And then we're going to debate it. And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to ask questions. And we're going to kind of workshop these things. Yeah. And I think that one person, similarly, if they are burdened by being the camp counselor of the event, like that's inauthentic and that feels overly directed and steered. And and there's too much intent kind of forced onto it. I I was reminded of this. I was was feeling this way after my trip. And then over the weekend, the big news, you know, sports wise was Shohei Otani from the Angels signing this $700 million contract with the Dodgers for 10 years. Yeah. Which is amazing. Um, but it happened during major league baseball's like winter meetings. So 
the the format of the winter meetings for Major League Baseball is that all of like all of baseball convenes into this like hotel lobby essentially and the the distributed kind of areas around it. It's like all the owners, players, you know, representatives, people that work for the teams, people that work for Major League Baseball, like everybody in the ecosystem relocates to this place. And I think that there's probably like a handful of like things that are that are scheduled. There's like a whatever, a probably some rich asshole brunch for the owners and who who knows. But like the value when you hear people report on it or people talk about it is like all of the lobby meetings that happen. It's all of the dinners that like happen over here and this deal gets constructed because an agent talks to an owner and whatever. And really to your point they don't charge these owners to come to this thing. It's it's a service provided to them by Major League Baseball. Like there's not a, a business structure or a or a business around the event itself to to like execute profit or to bring revenue out of it. It's like, no, it's an investment by Major League Baseball to host and put this thing together for the owners. And then everybody else kind of, as an aggregate, pays their own way to come and be there and loiter in the lobby and have these meetings. That used to be normal. That used to be like industries used to do that. They would, industries would get together and they would meet somewhere and they would talk about the ways that they could collaborate and organize and and do the things that they needed to do. Mm. And then suddenly... Somebody was like an event organizing organization came along and said, Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna host it in Vegas and you're all gonna pay a certain amount of money. Right. And I've been to these things, I've been to these industry event things, yeah. like for the real estate industry or the insurance industry. It's a it's a dick measuring contest. Yeah. I don't like it at all. It's just yeah. it's expensive, it's noisy. Yeah. You don't really do anything because you're either sitting listening to some overly gas confident bag. individual gas bag tell you what they think. Yeah. And then following that, everybody's just letting their head on and they're just yeah. like, you know, completely blitzed out of their mind. So it's kind yeah. of the two extremes somewhere in the middle is some, is the thing you want to do. It doesn't have to be, you know, complete boondoggle. Right. And, or, you know, complete, you know, one-sided conversation somewhere yeah. in between there is the meat that you're looking for. And that was, the the interesting thing about those early owner camp days mm-hmm. is that there was the right mix, the right recipe of here is a small group of people that can get to know each other. Like you will literally get to know everybody there. Right. In the four days, I think right. that was also yep. some kind of multiple of overnight conversations. Yep. Right. So it's, you're not just flying in and flying out, but you're actually that's, investing that's, yes. in the relationship. Right. Yeah, that's you're, that's you're getting not breath. Yep. Yeah, because you get to know somebody when you've spent time with them and you have yep. the opportunity to learn more about what's going on. And that's when the trust develops. And with the trust, you can build anything, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole point is that trust becomes the platform for other things yeah. to happen. Did you, in those owner camp experiences or other experiences when you've been in those kinds of events, have you learned more about observing how someone interacts with somebody else than how they interact with you? Part of that was valuable to me was to be able to see, like I came to strong impressions about you or whomever based on not even how you directly interacted with me, but observing you interact with somebody else and sure. how that went down was like hugely valuable for me to like, oh, okay, like I, I, I've skipped like seven steps of getting to know and 
perceiving value in that person because I've observed oh, yeah. them interact in this way. They said these things that indicate these things to me, blah, 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 blah. Like there's something, there is something to be like said for not being broadcasted at, but it being kind of a multi-directional kind of conversation that you get to watch from varying angles. And then you get to see that to your point, then you see the same thing like by the pool and you see how they behave when the lights are off. And then you see how that behaves over dinner and you see how that behaves when people's hair is really let down over drinks or whatever. Like, I think there is something, there's like a multi-angle kind of approach to that that gives you a more complete picture of people because you get to like, not just have them one-on-one coming at you, you know, yeah, pitching without realizing they're pitching. I went to the worst version of this event. We went, when I was at Happy Cog, it, it was well-intended. We wasted the most amount of money and time and effort and and soul, hum- humanly imaginable, going to the worst version of this event I can possibly recall. And I wish I could remember the name of it because I would put it on blast if I could, but it was like something like the CMO forum or some shit. Oh, yeah. It was a, I, like, I know that we have an explicit language like warning on this thing, but I I, I could say fuck 55 times in the next three sentences as <laughs> angry and as, yeah, there's not enough fucks in the world. It was such a shit show. It was, it was thousands of dollars to attend, thousands of dollars to attend. The recipe proposed was that they were convening these CMOs. You would get dossiers on everybody attending. There were talks and panels and whatever. Then there were scheduled one-on-one meetings arranged by the meeting organizers in some kind of match day system where you would get the dossier, you'd rank and indicate all the people that you want to meet for business purposes. They would similarly like rank and indicate which vendors and partners they wanted to meet there'd be this manufactured sequence of meetings you went through with these people and you're welcome. Like you're welcome for the opportunity to have this fabricated networked event. And it was worthless. It was completely worthless. It was the lamest version of South by Southwest talk stitched together with the most buttoned up enterprise resisting to being pitched kind of meeting between vendors. It was a colossal shit show, turd storm, waste of time, clusterfuck. It was, it was awful. And it was purely for this meeting organizing organization to extract tens of thousands of dollars from all the vendor attendees in the charade of their well, being I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, again, can't remember the name, but they call you. Yes. And they say, look, we've got 20 CEOs that are hiring partners or vendors or software companies or whatever it is, service companies this year, mm-hmm. and they want to meet you. And you're going to be put in the room and we're going to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. And at first you're like, oh, that sounds sure. pretty cool. Right. And then you think it through and you're like, wait, how, how does a good company ever get anything done if that's what they're doing to find vendors? Also true. Also true. Also fundamentally flawed. That And, and the truth is they were at best looking for vendors. They were, they were much more looking for a way to kick the tires in very kind of scalable services or, or software solutions or, you know, more of a B2C kind of solution than, 
agency mm. partners, but they were more than happy to fill the Rolodex of people attending with agencies trying to well, you generate. Suck. You're the guys who want to pay the money and you're desperate, right? So they know that all the, you know, who we, who we used to live in, that kind of like uh, mid-tier to small agency, they're yeah. always desperate for pipeline. 100%. And so the promise that they're going to provide that for you sounds too good to be true. You're like, great, I, I have to do this. I'm willing to do that to short circuit the six months of BD that I would ordinarily have to do. Exactly. And then you do it. And then you're like, exactly. what the hell did we just do? And I think had we been approached by this six months earlier or six months later, the answer would have been no. But because we were hit exactly when, you know, this was, I don't remember where this was relative to us having to have layoffs. I don't remember where this was relative to us having had mm. this really disastrous sales kind of closing project conundrum that led to all the, it, it was somewhat aligned with that. And it, you know, it, it, the sales pitch internally was try something different. This seems like a way to try something different. We need to try something different. Obviously we need to try something different. Different is being presented here. This is the different we're going to take a swing at. And again, had we been approached by this six months earlier, I don't think we even give it a second thought. Had we been approached six months later, we wouldn't have even entertained spending that much money on it, but we were just in that perfect. And and there were a, there was a legion of salespeople for the event organizing company, banging on phones, sending out emails, recruiting, mm -hmm. recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Mm -hmm. So had they not found us, they would have kept dialing for dollars until they found another partner agency, whatever, that was similarly you know, kind of desperate for a Hail Mary. And this seemed, yeah, it, and it's, but again. And I remember that sales pitch, they were really good at, they said, look, we, we've identified you as the ideal vendor for it. you. They kind of played to your ego and you, you were made to feel as if, if you didn't go, then you were going to let a whole bunch of people down. hundred percent. This, you know, this, this is very similar, at least from what I've heard to online dating, right? I'm, I'm mm -hmm. fortunate that I've never had to date mm -hmm. online, but when I talk to friends about it, they're like, it's awful. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a manufactured relationship, which I, I don't know. I mean, is it possible to short circuit all the hard work of getting to know somebody and building trust? I, I just yeah. don't feel that way. And maybe, maybe I'm naive and old and stupid and I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think we're seeing that in, in sales and marketing right now is that we, we took all that automated programmatic marketing. We, blew the, you know, the automated hell out of it. Yeah. And we, we, the reason why it worked is because of just the sheer volume that that stuff was happening. Like it was just like blank yeah. carpet bombing everybody. Yeah. Like there was not a place to hide. Like if you had a digital connection via email or social media or something, the companies were going to find you. And you were like, wait, maybe I do need this project management system. Maybe I do need this virtual whiteboard. Maybe I do need this design system, whatever it was, you know? And now people are completely fatigued and exhausted by that. And so yeah. they're asking the question, I'm, I'm no better off than I was. I have way more software than I need. I think we've talked about this before. Average company apparently has 40 different software products in their marketing and sales stack alone. Jesus Christ. Uh, we need to fact check that, but that's a number that I heard recently. And yeah. so now they've been sold all the things. There's the 
the, <laughs> the thing that helps you at the top of the funnel, and then there's the thing that helps you at the not so top, but almost at the top of the funnel, and then there's each you know one of the seven hundred layers of the funnel that they can market. Your, so, you know they they can insert some kind of stack into or into yeah. some kind of software into the stack, and then there's the stuff that's post. And then they, they basically constructed a whole new thing called customer success, which is, you know, like a whole different team needs a whole different set of tools. Like we're just, you know, we're adding complexity, we're adding tools, but we're no closer to trust. We're no closer to relationship. We're no closer to the reality of what makes people want to work with other people. And that's, yeah. I want you to take my money because I believe that you can do something really valuable. Yep. And we can have a partnership. Yeah. And, and I think it's just like, oh, well, yep. we don't like these guys. We'll just switch them out for the next guy. And IT is pulling out their hair. So like, you can't just keep switching shit out, man. Yeah. Like this takes time to integrate. This takes time to make work. And then, you know, six months later, you're like, oh, that, that CRM didn't work. You didn't give it time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. You okay. didn't build anything into it. And all of that is, to your previous point, all of that is trying to impose forecasting and quantifiability and numbers onto a thing that is, is numbers resistant. It reminded me when you were talking about online dating and all of these systems that get put into place. And in my personal experience, I when someone says to me, oh, I need to introduce you to so-and-so, they have a common interest that you have. Like they love football too. Or they're like, I'm going to hate that person. Like if the only thing you think we have in common is we both are interested in the same thing, like Odds are I'm probably going to hate that person. The person yeah. I'm really going to like is probably somebody that is more a fit for me personality-wise that has very different interests that may, you oh, know, man. have completely different interests. But like it's cool. the weird, sticky, organic stuff that actually makes – like I thought of you and Craig when you were saying that, Craig Bryant. There's no reason why Craig as a LinkedIn CV and you as a LinkedIn CV would necessarily gravitate towards one another. But Craig's funniest shit. Like Craig is. I, I, don't, I honestly don't think Craig and I would have ever. Look, I, I'm going to challenge the thing like, oh, you have something in common. Like, I do believe that sometimes that helps. Like, oh, you start a conversation like, oh, you're wearing a, a Richmond, right. London t shirt. That's cool. Like, did you know that I lived in Richmond? Like, oh, right. you know, maybe there's like, there's a reason for you to break the ice. Yeah, there's right. something there. But I do agree with you. It's, it's kind of like when you travel, if you're a tourist. Um, I, so. For the people who are listening, I grew up in South Africa. I traveled around Africa a lot. And I loved traveling to Africa, like through, you know, the the most interesting remote parts of Africa because you just weren't going to bump into that many people that you knew. And so you were learning like co different cultures, different languages, all these kinds of things. That was the attraction. Mm. And I remember standing, um, waiting for a train. And uh, in a sea of Africans, these two white guys just start walking towards me and like beelining to me and they come right. up to me and they go like hey how are you doing and they introduce themselves like where are you going and i'm like uh you know dar es salaam or wherever i was going and they're like oh we should ride in the same car together and i'm like i'm literally here to avoid people right. like, you. like right. just because we're white and we speak English does not mean i have anything else in common with you and i don't want anything in common with you and you know this like you know, when that happens when you're traveling, it happens when you immigrate, like I, you came mm. to the country. And the first thing that happened was all the other South Africans that had come out here were like, oh, you should join the South African club. Right. And I was like, well, maybe I should. And so I went there and I was like, I wouldn't be friends with these people in South Africa. What the hell am I trying to do 
be friends totally. with them in America. Totally, <laughs> totally, 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 100%. So, so, so I, think, I think there's like ice breaking, which is fine. Like, oh, right. you're wearing something. But that is, right. But don't confuse that for a genuine artifact of what you will be connected through. That is, a, that is an alibi for a connection that you will then use that to test if there's something more there. But I remember vividly too, like, oh, go to an Eagles bar to watch an Eagles game in Savannah, Georgia. It's like, I hate these people. Like, just the fact that they like the Eagles too doesn't mean I like want to hang out with that dickhead and that person. And, and yeah. I think it's like, that's what online dating reminds me of. Online dating, I mean, again, I have zero experience with this. I've been... But with- if you think about how the algorithm works, it must be like, well, you have these yeah. things in common or these are the choices you're making in your life, 100%. you know, it's the way it's everything. I mean, that's like, that's why I hate algorithmically recommended books on Amazon. Like it's so inauthentic. It's so it, the, the, it's, it's the uncanny Valley. Again, that we've talked about, it's the uncanny Valley of this is 65%. This makes sense. It's the 35% where this doesn't make sense. That infuriates me. Yeah. It's the 35% of this, that is grossly off target. That makes me, like, yeah, feel like God forbid you enjoy one movie that happened to have Mark Wahlberg in it, and then suddenly the re- the the algorithm is recommending every single yep. Mark Wahlberg yep. movie ever made, and you're like, like that is that is very yeah. much not the part of this that I was gravitating towards. And then you know, similarly, like you know, well, you like you know science fiction movies, you must want to watch Harry Potter. It's like, well, I don't not want to watch Harry Potter, but like, what the fuck is that? Like, where did that even come from that those connections are made? And, and it's worse with, with books, I find, because there's like, it's so much harder to like put little keywords on a 300 page novel or something, especially with fiction. It's like, I mean, I like, there's like a vibe I like, there's a kind of author I like, there's a tone I like that is very specific. I don't just read for the sake of reading, like I'm, and, and this is something I'm going to spend hours on. I read slowly. I read so slowly. My wife like looks at me and thinks like, I have to have him assessed. Like, this is really weird that it takes, like she, you know, reads a book in the blink of an eye and she's like, are you still reading that book? That's adorable. Like, so like generally it's, it's an amazing, it's a quantum amount of time to spend on something. I can't afford for those recommendations to be. And that similarly, when you're being introduced to people, I don't get out a lot. I got three kids. Like the limited times I get to like meet somebody new or kick tires of somebody new. Like if the best thing that has going for it is like, oh, this guy happens to be, you know, from Philadelphia. It's like, it's a lot of maniacs from Philadelphia too, man. Like just cause like I'm from there and he's from there doesn't mean that that's how this works. And a better comparison is like, I just saw John Rothenberg. He, he's from so, so limited. He might've been at one of the early, owner camps that you were at. I don't remember if that was ever. No, I don't think we ever met. He's in Boston. He's an MIT guy. Like, honestly, John and I don't have a lot in common except that we like each other. Like, I think really, like he's super smart. He, I met, I was at like their 20th anniversary party. I met some of his like friends from college. Like he's just a brilliant dude who who is really kind and really nice. And I like him tremendously. I don't, you know what we do have? We do have basketball. Like he's a Celtics fan. I'm a Sixers fan. We can get down about that. But outside of that, like, I don't think that we have oceans of things in common, but I just like his vibe. Like it's as simple as that. Like there's something about him that I don't get from a lot of other people. He's kind of unique. You said something that reminded me, this is a really important point. We are quantifying the things that we can see, the things that we can physically exchange in our current set of visual or um, 
tangible senses. Like here's a number. I can see that thing. I can see yeah. that algorithmic algorithmically. I can see like all the connections there. But what you can't measure is all the really important stuff, right? Yeah. The vibe. You mentioned the vibe. I remember talking to somebody who was in charge of recruitment and platform and networking for a very, very large VC. And they had a conversation with one of the with one of the other general partners about look, we, we've got to find the people that we're going to work with be, because they vibe right. Right? They, yeah. We've got to, we've, there's got to be something about these people that we feel, like we feel in our right. hearts, in our stomachs. That's right. Not right. what's happening in our heads, right. but how we feel about them. Do they give us warm fuzzies or yeah. do we feel like we would never let these people even, you know, babysit our children? Right, right, like, right. right what's the vibe yeah and apparently the uh, the other general partner was like that's bullshit we're never going to talk about vibe again don't even mention that word if you mention that word we're like shutting this down hmm. and focus only on those tangible metrics hmm. well guess what that that firm just shut down last week like their pipeline dried up and they shut down yeah and and I don't know whether those two things are connected. I have no idea. Right. But what I can tell you is that anytime you're in a relationship and that vibe is not there, yeah. there is, that's not a good signal. That's right. not a good signal for sustainability of the relationship, for the right. trust of the relationship, for the, for the upside of the relationship. Like what's, yep. Yep. What, what could possibly be good about working on something where the vibe is off? Right. And we've got to get... We've got to get an entire, hopefully, generation or generations of people to start to trust their hearts. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know why I wore this, but like they've got to trust how they feel about other people, how they feel about doing business with others, how they feel about relationships with others. Yeah. Because I genuinely believe this, and this is not just kind of like, you know, out there stuff. When you find that, it's like a relationship, like a marriage or whatever. When you find that and you invest in that, the deeper you go, the more there is there. Right. It's not the opposite. It's not the right. deeper you go, the more you kind of mine it, right? And it's like, oh, we're going to mine this vein until it's dead. Right. But you're going deeper and deeper and you're finding more and more to be curious about, more and more to understand about each other. Yeah. And that's really the whole point is trusting your gut and your vibe Yep. To say, okay, what is here? There's something here with this person. Yep. I'm gonna go and find it. And now that that doesn't mean to say there aren't like other issues. Like I no, no, no. Know, no, no. It no, could no. be yeah, like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm attracted to this person for the wrong reasons. Like mm-hmm. because I like had a shitty childhood experience and I'm like trying to fix something. Right, right, right. Like, right, right. Yes. So I think like I think you mentioned Craig Bryant. I'm so I'm having dinner with him tonight. Oh, lovely. He, he lives in Chicago, I live in Boston, and we met in Portland, Oregon at an owner camp. Mm-hmm. And the thing that connected us initially was before the event, you circulated saying, hey, by the way, if there's people who want to do extracurricular stuff, it's right. self-organized. You want to go do whatever, you know, these are your people. Yeah. And somehow I found that uh, Craig had a bike. I mm. had bought my bike or I had rented a bike or something like that. Uh, Dave Bellows, mm. I think, and Peter Kang, they all were like, mm. yeah, we ride bikes. Gotcha. It was the shittiest Portland day. It was like 
<laughs> fucking terrible weather. It was raining. It was cold. <laughs> and we went out anyway. <laughs> and they, you know, in cycling, they call them hard men, like people who just ride regardless of the weather. They go, yeah. they, 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 the hard men really, really is just a nice way of saying bunch of idiots. But <laughs> the four of us went out. Peter got hypothermia, nearly died, had to get an Uber to like get him back to the, <laughs> to the hotel. And, and Craig and I and, and Dave kind of persisted and went out on this ride and we came back and we're like, oh, yeah, like, there's something we have in common. We have something here where we're, we like to pursue interesting, weird shit. Like, right. And we started a connection, a friendship. Right. And now Craig and I, on probably two or three times a year, we'll go somewhere like Italy or France or mm. Boulder or California and go and ride bikes with a bunch of other weirdos that we know. Right. And like you said, on paper, we're not a good match. If I there's very little on on LinkedIn that says that we're a good connection. Exactly. And yeah, we're connecting you together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think when yeah, when you zoom out to the other guys that you go riding with, it's even more disparate. You know, there's even more like divergence of like, you and Craig. Actually, it sounds like are the, are the two most common in your like work backgrounds. Like your work backgrounds are kind of the most similar of yeah. all those guys you you go on those trips with. And I yeah. think like there's something. So one thing I wanted to come back to in that like the vibe part of it, where you like if you don't vibe with people, then you're working on stuff that should be easy too hard, right? Like you're already doing hard work. Typically you work in an agency, you work for a product company, you work in a team, you have real work to do. If you are similarly also swimming upstream the entire time, working on the way you communicate, working on the way you trust each other, working on the way, like the way you value it, like that's, that's more work on top of already work. And it makes it, it makes you less productive. It, it adds a lot of friction. That is a palpable perceivable thing to the people around you like that's not doesn't go mistaken and i think when you when you are it's usually fortunate enough frankly like it's it's not often that you're savvy enough but if you're fortunate enough in an organization to have collected the right cocktail of people that create a vibe that is definitely broadcast through the brand like that is oh, yeah. very 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 much part of the brand expression the brand impression, the brand valuation, the brand, brand, brand is very much articulating like a secret recipe of vibe that the people there have and enjoy that becomes this, you know, we don't know if this thing's for everybody. We're pretty confident it's this. Like we're pretty confident what this thing is this. And we're quadrupling down on it because the vibe is rich and everybody's kind of like engaged in this. And, you know, it may not be for everybody, but it's very certain that it is exactly what is being broadcast out to the world because it's it's involuntary. You know, it's this like eruption of the brand rather than, no, 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 we're going to, the brand is this, our values are that, we're going to exhibit this, we're going to articulate that, we're going to, yeah, like, again, that uncanny valley creeps in. Yeah. But, you know. Well, they, they, keep in mind, there's also two parts to this, right? So there's, if you if you trust that feeling and you seek that out, it's normally because you are giving trust, you are giving love, you are giving openness, you are trying to invite that in because you are that way. Right? Right. You're not measuring it out like an algorithm. You're not saying, well, Joe, he's this and this and this and this, therefore I will trust him. Or he's this and this and this, therefore I will like him as a friend. Like right. you are, you have to be open. You have to be willing to trust. This is really important when you're creating a team. If you're assembling a company, 
a company and you're assembling a team, giving trust first, giving those emotions first for that yeah. safe place to exist is critical. Yeah. The opposite doesn't work. Like, oh, you've got to earn my trust. We don't, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, we don't raise children like that. Like, oh, you've got to earn my trust. Like, those are the most fucked up kids. They are. They are. The kids, the, I yeah. think. The, They're like the, constantly trying to live up to an expectation that doesn't, that's always moving and it's always changing. So that's the first thing is you've got to, you've got to approach this with the giving mindset. Like, I'm going to give trust until, yeah. until I don't need to give it anymore or whatever. But then the other side of that is, as you pointed out, when you do that, you are creating a vortex of trust that then attracts people. Your brand becomes the vibe that then people go, that's, that's what I want to be a part of. Yeah, yeah. And I'm attracted to that. And yep. you will attract the right people to your team. You'll attract the right customers to your team when you do that. Now, I, I can just, there's probably somebody listening to this saying like, oh yeah, but that doesn't scale. Bullshit. It scales. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why it scales is because if you build that into your brand values and into your, your principles and how you operate as a leader that then percolates through the entire organization, every single touch in your organization vibrates with that authenticity, right. with that interest in other people, with that kindness and, and knowledge that you're doing the right thing. It comes out in everything. Yeah. And the opposite is true as well. If you start with a lack of trust and you start with a lack of understanding and you don't give anybody openness and it's always closed and it's always suspicious, that comes out as well. Every interaction, whether it's an email or something out, it's like, like when you deal with a big financial organization, the immediate assumption is you are a fucking idiot right. and we're a big bank and God help us that we're not suing you already for not being a customer yet. Like, you know, like you're like, wait, I, and that's why neobanks came along and said, no, no, we actually, we want to do something different. Right. Like, you should be treated like a human being. Right. 100%. Oh, that's interesting. Why don't we do that? No, I, I couldn't agree more. I do think that like the shorthand of what I experience in my consulting when I meet lots of companies and lots of agencies, especially because I deal with like smaller companies. I deal with 30-person companies, 40-person companies, 12-person companies. Like the company culture is often the owner's personality. Always. Like, no, no. It, it's, it's like that. Right. Like, like that in any company. company. Name, name a company and then name the CEO and you'll be like, yeah, oh. Yeah. Surprise. 100%. So it's like, it's very, and now I think what becomes interesting is when it's owned by partners, when it's owned by two people or three people. Yes. Like, that's really interesting. And so I've just, I'm reminded of this having just seen Mike at Upstatement. Like, what's kind of magical about them is the Mike and Jared and Tito of it all, the three founders of Upstatement. The fact that they, as a group, like, harmonize in very effective ways and are divergent in very effective ways and whatever. Like I can't even imagine all the yeah, family owned businesses, couples that own businesses. Like there's a different vibe right there. Yeah. And I think that there is a, when that, when that's right, it's really valuable when that's wrong, then it's almost impossible to remedy. Like it's almost like there's just a, a flaw. There's a crack in the, the diamond somewhere and it's just going to fracture at some point, you know, like there, it's just in, it's impossible to remedy. I think the contrast, though, talking to Mike, is like I can't imagine being like a single owner operator of a business. Like I can't, I can't even imagine having like being that vulnerable or being that isolated or it all being on my shoulder without like these partners around me. Like again, that's either going to zig or zag. And if it goes well and it's the right kind of owner, then it's crystal clear and super. Many indicator of 
the health of the business as well. Because, I mean, Disney is a really good example. So they they decided, okay, they're going to get rid of this guy. Right. And then 10 minutes later, they call him back and they say, hey, can you come back? Hey, please. You know, open, open AI is another good example. And they're yeah. like, as if the entire future of this company hinges on a single individual. That's not good for ego. That's not good for the company. That's really yeah. not good for anybody. Yeah. As a shareholder, I'd be like, eh. Yeah. Like, really, this do we really business. want to invest everything in this right. one individual? This is like, a I'd rather even go and then just deal with the shit. Like, exactly. It's exactly. just a fucking company. It didn't even exist 10 minutes ago. It won't exist yep. in 10 minutes' time. Yep. Nobody cares. Right. Like, move on, put your yep. money somewhere else. Like, yeah. are we overcompensating on personality? Yeah. But that's the whole, like, again, we've talked about Elon Musk. We've talked about OpenAI. Like, that is the vulnerability of, of falling in love with the idea that you have some kind of magical founder, magical CEO, magical principle in some way. And it's like, that's, that's an incredible, that, that is a, a giant inverted pyramid of, of massive scale on one person's shoulders. Like that's insane. That's bananas. The problem is that it's become part of the American narrative, right? So the American narrative is, you know, we 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 like the we spoke about this last week. We like yeah. the individual genius. We like the idea that there's one face on the cover of the magazine. Exactly. You know, this yeah, person's going to save us from ourselves. Yeah. And yet, that entire hero's hero's journey to yeah. do a Joseph Campbell thing here is almost entirely flawed because it works well as a storytelling narrative, but it immediately reduces the value of everybody else that's part of that story. Yes. Netflix had a series called Abstract, which was pretty cool, actually. They, they did all these interviews with these interesting designers. Yep. And I, I watched it because it was interesting, but I was really, really frustrated with it because they made out as if Nike had everything to, to right. or owed everything to the single right. designer, right. this creative director. Yeah. Um, you know that... Yeah, I can't even remember who it was. But it was like, Phil Knight. Who? Phil no, Knight. Wasn't Phil Knight. It was somebody oh, else. No, no, it was, you're right. It was the guy that made the Air Jordans. I, I can't think yeah. of his name. Whoever the director was. Oh, yeah. and like, they create these stories um, as if the, there was an individual who was yeah. responsible for the entire company, like Johnny Ives kind of story. Right, like, right. No, this right. is an individual who happened to be part of another group yeah, of yeah, people yeah. who was part of a bigger group of people who yeah. was like, they were literally like, hundreds or thousands of people involved in every single thing that was done here. Yeah. And to assume that one individual can, yeah. this is again, your measurement thing, like, oh, well, it's that person. Therefore, what are the qualities of that person? Go and interview that person, find right. out what their criteria and characteristics are, and then go and hire yeah. more of those people. Right. You can't. It's, it's, you right. can't. It's, it's turning a company into a fable and then mistaking the fable for a, a formula. Yeah. Like, a fable's okay. Like, if it, you know, some kind of narrative or some kind of manifestation of that story can be instructive and it can be valuable. But when it's mistaken for the formula for how this happens or a repeatable formula, heaven forbid, or like that's where it, it, it becomes, you know, dangerous almost where you start to like, you start to think that way. The, again, for the, anybody that's listening to this, we're now almost an hour in. So God bless you if you're still listening. But the I can't recommend enough. I've recommended this to every poor sap that I've talked to in the past six months. If you haven't watched the television show The Bear on FX or on Hulu, it's a great show to begin with. 
There's a episode in the second season called Forks that is the best metaphor for the way a high functioning like servant leadership team that cares about craft has ever been described. And it's a great metaphor for agencies, a great metaphor for teams, a great metaphor for a million things. It's beautifully specific. And it, and again, does a great job of showing like really in that, in the contrast of the Johnny Ives kind of example or whoever, really it is the shared ethos of all of the people that surround this person. That's the hero. Yeah. It's really the shared understanding. It's the culture. It's the expectations. It's the the standards. It's all of those things that maybe that person had a real strong hand in developing. Maybe that person had a real you know vision for architecting or whatever. But really, it's more about the trust that that person put on those other people, the, the goals that they've all kind of aligned around. And it's their ability to all kind of aim in the same direction fairly effortlessly because it's so crystal clear that's the hero now you know there's somebody that might have played a role in helping to define that or they help they help nurture that along but again like it really is like when it's successful like god forbid all of disney's success is built on bob Iger. like that is a terrifying thing to even entertain that you know it's it's terrifying that the u.s government is so leveraged on all of elon musk's technology when he's a kookaburg like that they have like, you know, there's there's billions of dollars of the U.S. government invested in this lunatic's companies that he's devaluing every time he has a fit on stage. Like, again, it's really more to not, to, to, to not be hyperbolic and to zoom back down again. But like, really, that's where like something like abstract or something that kind of that analyzes those kinds of like single visionary leaders. Really, it's a lot more about what their leadership allows other people to do or encourages other people to do or provides space for other people to do because that person doesn't work 560 hours a week. Yeah. It's I mean, this is, what, this is the beauty that. about this book that I'm writing, Gentle Leadership, where I'm going and talking to people who are invisible to the mm -hmm. mo for the most part because they're not on stage having a fit. They're not you know, right. on social media having a meltdown. And they're quietly running these amazing businesses, hundreds of millions of dollar type businesses. And they're not sexy people right. in the sense that they don't have like big personas and they're not right. looking they're for the brand. Right. Yeah. No. yeah. But they're also like, they're, 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 they're asking the right questions. Like, do you really need to have right. that type of persona in order to run a successful company? The answer is no. Do you really need to be the most important person in the organization? In other words, all decisions have to go through you. The answer is no. In fact, that's, a, that's actually a major liability. 100%. Do you need to also have um, a system that is built on succession where the top person gets up there? Like, the, you know, how GE used to work when, it, you know, in those days. Again, answer is no. Turns out that that's not the right system. And all of these kind of, you ask all these gentle leaders, like, how are they running their businesses and how are they doing it differently? And they were like, well, we just ask whether the norm that's become standard is necessary. Do you really need to work 80 hours a week? The answer is no. Like yeah. I was watching an interview with one of the guys that I'm, I'm hoping to interview for the book. And he was like, look, my business does $650 million a year, has done for the last like, like decade or so. Yeah. Um, started the business 40 years ago. So it's not a, a you know, fly by night. Yeah, yeah. It's in this super boring space. Nobody even cares about really for the most part, you're renovating basements. Mm. And 
he's like, yeah, I, I haven't worked a weekend for 20 years because yeah. honestly, I want to be with my children. I want to be with yeah. my family. I don't want to be with my friends. I don't want to be at work all the time. Right. It's not good for the people that work with me. Yeah. I want to find that the guy who comes to work on Monday is, has been working all weekend is full of shit and exhausted and, you know, and, you know, is trying to solve the, the puzzle by going on an ayahuasca trip. Like, <laughs> no, just take a weekend off. Just yeah. take a weekend off. You don't need to, yeah. to go, you know, to take psilocybin every day and, right. and, and an ice bath. And it doesn't, you don't need to do those things if you're just taking care of shit. Right. You don't need all those protocols. Yeah. Yeah. Now you should definitely talk to Mike Swartz for the book too. He'd be somebody interesting to, to pick his brain. It's not a coincidence. These guys work a four day week. You know, it's not a coincidence that like, there's a lot of stuff that they do. That's just like, no, why? Like we don't have to work five days a week. Wouldn't it be better if we worked four days a week, had three days off and did better work the four days we're here. Like, like they're, you know, they're, they're, they seem like they're asking those kinds of questions for sure. Brilliant. All right. Oh, we really got worked up. I guess so. We're going to do a lather. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll do this again on Wednesday and see if there's like, you know, a hangover from this, but you'll. (laughs) Or we get canceled. That's right. That's right. right. Well, the tech pros are like, that's enough. That's right. (laughs) Zencaster's like, "Uh uh-uh, no download for you. We lost it. We lost your file, you dirtbags. (laughs) All right. Okay, buddy. Great to see you. Have a good week. Thank you. you. Bye. Bye.